Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. administrator and uh, he actually owns his own IT business and what he basically does is he is uh, he comes into your place of business and is, and is the IT guy. He lives in, uh, in your neighborhood. One time uh, Mark needed a little bit of help on this install and it was a local business that's a heavy computer business so they use a lot of data and they have big major computers and big major projects that take a lot of computing. And so they had their own data center in their location. And it was a dedicated room that was full of racks of computers. And it was so powerful in the room that the whole room buzzed. I don't know if you've ever been in a data center or if you've ever been in a room that was the dedicated computing space for a business, but it's pretty impressive. And there's so much power and so much energy in that room that they have to have special AC and they have to have fell over power. So if the power goes out, you have to be able to still cool off that room and make sure that your data doesn't get melted away. It's pretty impressive. And when I think about just what it was like for one business in one room, it blows my mind to imagine what it must be like for Amazon's data. I envision, I don't know about you, but I envision like a bunker just full of, as far as the eye can see, of just computer racks. And it's like sub, sub 30 degrees in there because, because there's so much power and energy. So if you don't know, that's the cloud. It's not up there. As I know you know that's the case. You know it's not somewhere out there, but the cloud is, is data. It's, a, it's massive data centers. And your data and my data, your stuff and my stuff, some of it's secure, some of it not. You need to do due, due diligence on that. It's in this data center somewhere in some computing system that's in a rack that's being cu- uh, uh, cooled off by this massive uh, AC um, unit and and, and it's all to protect your data and that's the cloud and there is so much power that they have to have massive amounts of energy coming into those buildings in fact when usa put their data center in uh, a guy who used to go to the grove named nick actually helped put it in they had to have a whole dedicated uh not only part of a building but a whole dedicated um electrical cable going into it. It was unbelievable because it takes so much power. Now, when you think about it, all the information in all of computer land in all of the world is kept in these data centers. All that, all that power, all that knowledge in one place. That's the cloud. 
Well, today I want to look at a piece of scripture that talks about another cloud. One that is mysterious. One that's not so real. One that you can't put your hands on. And it's a cloud that we read about at the ascension of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 1, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 11. Acts 1, 6 through 11. You can follow on the screen or on a smart device, or if you have your Bible, you can turn to it. Acts 1, 6 through 11. Just the setup here. So over the last weeks, we walked through Matthew and his passion narrative, the last days, the last hours of Jesus' life. And then we kind of switched to post Resurrection. So since Easter, we've looked at what happened in that time between Jesus' or after Jesus' resurrection. And there's this, there's this space of time. Now we're told by Luke that that space of time between Jesus' resurrection and the ascension, do you know how many days that is? It's a real biblical number. 40. Very good. 40 days. So there is a 40 day period between the resurrection and and the ascension. Now we're told by Luke that in that 40-day period, Jesus would show up off and on, and he would teach his disciples. Now, he doesn't go into detail about that, and it sounds a little weird that they're just hanging out, they're praying, they're trying to figure out what their next steps are, and then Jesus shows up, and he'll give them a teaching, and he'll talk to them, and then he just kind of is gone again. So remember that Jesus' resurrected body then is something different than, than his body was before. We don't understand it. We can't explain it. I don't fully get my mind around it. There's something mystical about it. There's a mystery to it. But for 40 days off and on, Jesus has shown up. And as he's taught his disciples, we're told in the first part of Acts 1 that he was speaking about the kingdom of God. So verse 3 says that every time he showed up, he was continually teaching them what they needed to know before he set them off on, on what he was going to have them do. And so there was this continuous teaching about the kingdom of God and what that looked like. And so it's only natural that in this last scene of Jesus on earth... They have a question about it. Verse 6. So when they had come together, and you can read that. It's not there in the original language, but you can understand that this is, un is supposed to be understood as the last time they were together. So when they had come together for the last time, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He's been teaching them about the kingdom now for 40 days. And then they say, okay... We understand you've been teaching us about the kingdom, but at this time, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, that's a loaded question that has a lot of back history that we don't have time to go through. But let me just open the floor and ask you, what do you think they meant by the kingdom of Israel? Let me back up and ask this. Was there a kingdom of Israel at this time? No. No. There wasn't. Israel was actually part of what kingdom at this time? Rome. The Roman kingdom, right? So you have Israel, 
which is a subsection. It's this nation state, but it really falls under the kingdom of Rome. So there was no kingdom of Israel. So having said that, what were they asking Jesus here? When they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? What are they asking? Say that again. Yeah, we get to be our own people again. Someone said something. Yeah, free Israel from the tyranny of Rome because Rome was pretty tyrannical, especially if you were some backwoods little nation. They didn't care much about you. They just wanted to take all your money from you. I mean, they didn't really do a whole lot. They took your money and didn't provide much. They're like, you do your own thing, just pay us for the right of having our soldiers watch over you sometimes. So in their mind, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom and they understand that there are spiritual lessons there, but then they also say, okay, but is this now when you are going to restore the real thing? You've been teaching us about the spiritual side of this. Is this the time when, when like, you're going to set up your own nation state? And Jesus answers as he often does with a non-answer. In fact, he answers with a question. So typical, Jesus. And he says, it is not, verse 7, for you to know the time and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, I said that he answers that with a question, but it's, it's a deflection that's like a question. Because what he's really saying, is it not God's business and not yours? You don't have to know what God's doing. I don't even know what the Father's doing. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In fact, in other places in the scriptures, Jesus said that I don't even know the times. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know what the Father's going to ultimately do. That's part of his purview. That's his plan. I'm carrying out the plan that he's told me to carry out. So he doesn't really answer the question. He instead redefines kingdom for them. They've been expecting the kingdom of Israel, a geopolitical thing set up, but now he's going to redefine in verse 8 what the kingdom really is about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now what you need to understand about this is that this idea of power is a very much a kingdom idea. What he's saying is, let me redefine power for you. Power isn't Rome. Power isn't political power. Power isn't financial power. Power isn't some status that you can gain or that you have. That's all worldly power. That's not the kind of power I offer. Which kind of flies in the face of a lot of modern day theology. The prosperity gospel. That God's power is all about providing you with stuff. With fame and fortune and, and positional power. That's not what power is. And Jesus clearly states here that there is, in his kingdom, it's not about political power. It's not about positional power. It's not about financial power. But you will receive power, real power. 
the ultimate power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So he's redefining power. That's the first part of his redefinition of kingdom. You've got to change your understanding of what power means. Real power isn't the power that we see in this world. Real power is otherworldly, and it comes from the Father in the form of the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to redefine even more. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he redefines kingdom now as a people of witness. So he's redefined power, and now he's redefining what it means to be his people. For so long, Israel thought to be his people meant to live in Israel and to worship God at his temple in Jerusalem. They thought that that's what it looked like. They thought that being the people of God meant living by his rules, living in this geographical area, and going to this temple and doing these very things that, that we've always done. That's what they defined as being Israel. And so what he's saying is, no, being Israel means, being my people means that you will be my witness. And where is his witness? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, which goes out beyond, and that's all of the rest of Israel. In Samaria, which is the nation next to them that they didn't like very much. And to the ends of the earth. So he's redefining what it means to be the people of God from being a people in a certain location to be a people on the move bearing witness. So what is the people of God? It's not a people gathered up in one area doing the same things over and over. It's a it's the church scattered in the power of the Holy Spirit doing his work and being his witness in the world. So we are most like Jesus. And we are at the most his people of God when we are his witnesses in his world. Do you get that? So he's redefined power and the power structure. And now he's redefined what it means to be Israel and to be God's people. And it's a people who are on the move with a witness. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Now the, the original language here is tricky. And there is some upward mobility here. We don't know what that exactly looks like. But it's almost more like a veil opening up. Than it is like some big old fog cloud coming down and enveloping Jesus. And then just going straight up into heaven. I mean, that's what I always pictured it like. Some, some big cloud just comes rolling in, drops down on Jesus, and it becomes his beam me up, Scotty, and he just is beamed up. I mean, that's kind of what I've envisioned, you know, growing up. That's the ascension. That it's like this heavenly elevator. <laughs> but the description in the original language is hard to translate into English. It's more like... A veil opens up. It's the curtain on a stage is peeled back. And what's revealed is the true story behind the veil. And that's kind of what we see here in this picture. That the veil opens up and this cloud of smoke just comes roaring out. 
It envelops Jesus and then it just kind of floats up and away. That's the visual in the language in the original Greek. And so when he said these things, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. It's like, anybody like the meme culture of the Simpsons where he goes back into the bushes? You know what I'm talking about? That's kind of what I envision, except it's clouds. You know, it's Homer going back in. I don't know why my mind looks like, works like that, but that's kind of how I envision this whole scene, except it's like clouds instead of a hedge, and it's Jesus, not Homer. I know, that's a bad, that's just how my mind works. And he's out of his sight. Now, here's what's important to understand about this. Clouds particularly in these, what we call theophanies, these experiences of the other world and God are rich with meaning. So, where in Scripture do we see in these theophanies, these experiences of God, where are other examples of clouds showing up? Open floor, say it. Where's another example of a cloud showing up? All right, Jesus what? All right, the transfiguration on the mountain. Moses, what about Moses? <laughs> you can't just say Moses. John! Uh, Peter! No, Moses, what about Moses? What story of Moses? You know this. Pals taught this story a thousand times. What What story? The cloud that they followed in the wilderness, all right? That was the Shekinah, the glory of God, right? What else with Moses? There's another Moses in cloud. What's that? The Ten Commandments. When he goes up to the Ten Commandments, there's a cloud that envelops the mountain. Yeah, what else? What's other clouds? As we talk about this on a very cloudy day here in Mobile. No. Yeah, yeah, Noah, right, which is kind of what feels like living in Mobile sometimes. Clouds covered, and for, I mean, it's not a theophany, but clouds covered, and he and the whole world just changed at once. What else? Bam, Elijah went up in a cloud. Very good, very good. So there are two, in fact, stories of people going up in clouds. Um, besides Jesus, one of them's Elijah, and the other one, pal, is very good, Moses. So, we have all these scenes of clouds where God shows up, and he's doing something, and the world is changing. He peels back the veil, and his power and his glory is released on the earth. You got that? That's a common theme in scripture who was at the the mount of transfiguration at the cloud when the cloud showed up in G no no not disciples peter was a disciple but who elijah and moses wait a second so elijah and moses both went up in clouds and jesus is going up in a cloud 
And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men. I wonder who those two men might be. Elijah and Moses. Now, he doesn't say that. It could be two angels. But Luke and the playing out of the story for God wants us to connect Elijah and Moses with this ascension. He wants their ascensions to be connected to Jesus' ascension. And we're going to get to the why in a second. So they're standing there. Jesus says this thing. This cloud kind of opens up and envelops him. And he just kind of goes back with it and up and away. And, and they're sitting there like, what in the world just freaking happened? And two guys show up standing there in white robes. That is, this is a weird scene, guys. You should read this and go, ugh. What is going on here? It is a very weird scene. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, the two men stood by within in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Why are you standing gazing? Why are you looking at, at this theophany? Now, I'm like, are you kidding me, bro? Why am I staring at this? This is like ridiculous, weird. I mean, this is otherworldly. Are you for real asking me why I'm staring? I mean, that would be, that would be my honest-to-goodness gut response to these guys saying, what are you looking at? What do you mean, what am I looking at? But the point is, is he says, uh-uh, <laughs> That's done. Quit looking. It's time for action. And we know that because Elisha and Moses. When Moses is taken up in a cloud, who is the spirit bearer at that point? Who is the leader at that point? Moses goes... Joshua steps in, right? Moses has to go before Joshua can take over. Moses could take the people only so far, and now Joshua has to come in and finish the journey, right? That's the story. It's the same way with Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is getting ready to be taken away, and Elisha... The one that he was training, the next in line, says, give me a double portion of the power of God that you have. Give me a double portion of that. Pray that on me. And Elijah says to Elisha, well, you have to see me ascend before that can happen. And he sees him ascend, and then a double portion of God's glory and his power falls on Elisha. The point is, Elijah can only go so far, and now Elisha comes on scene, and he's taking it to a new level. And that's the point of this scene. In essence, what Luke is saying, what Jesus is living out, and what God's playing out in front of the disciples is, Jesus took you this far, now it's your turn to go. And just as the power that was in Moses was passed on to Joshua, and just as the power that was in Elijah was passed on to Elisha, now I'm passing on my power to you. Go. 
This is a powerful scene, not because there's clouds and smokes and guys in white robes. It's a powerful scene because the whole message here is now it's your turn. The power is coming. Go. And as long as Jesus was in body and on earth, he could not unleash his full power to those who were left. Jesus has to be at the right hand of the Father in order to release his power to everyone else. And here's what blows my mind, guys. We live, I'll own it, I live like that's not the case. I don't live like that same power that was in Jesus is in me. I don't all the time. I don't recognize that the Holy Spirit that powered and empowered Jesus to fulfill the mission God had for him is the same power and the same mission that he's propelling me. I don't always recognize that and lean into it and live into it. Guys, it is unbelievable what is at our hands if we just listen and submit. So Jesus redefines power and he redefines kingdom. Power now is the power of God at work in his people and kingdom is his people carrying out the mission. Do you get that? He redefined power as the power of his Holy Spirit working through his people and he's redefined his people and kingdom as those who in his power are carrying out his mission in the world. Kingdom is his mission lived out in this world. Empowered by his spirit. And so the message of the two men is the message to us. Why are you staring? Get to work. I envision that scene, and excuse the basketball analogy, from the movie Hoosiers. We're in there in the final, and they make the last time out, and Jimmy is their best player by far. I mean, he is a shooter. He's Steph Curry of the 1950s. And they huddle up, and they call one single play. If they make the shot, by the way, there were no three-pointers at this time. If they make the shot, they win by one because they're down by one. If they miss the shot, they lose the championship game. And they get in the huddle, and the coach says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to run the uh, picket fence, and you're going to take the shot. And the whole team just kind of goes... What? And the coach is like, come on, you got to get out there. Let's go. Let's run the play. And they're like, what are you talking about, coach? And Jimmy steps in and says, coach, I can get open and I can make the shot. Guys, you're Jimmy. You can do it. Don't just stare and gawk. Make the play.
In this scene, God's power and his glory is revealed. In this scene, he redefines power and he redefines kingdom. In this scene, he's telling us, this is as far as I can go. Now it's in your court. What are you going to do with it? There's a lot of data stored somewhere in the cloud. And when my computer got stolen, all of my data was still in the cloud. But I couldn't access it because I didn't have my computer. I didn't lose data. I just lost my computer. That's the good thing about the cloud, right? But without my computer, it does me no good. Guys, a lot of us are living our Christianity with our information in the cloud and no computer to access it. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.